0: Here's an idea. Take the most powerful being in the Marvel Universe, have him save the world, and then betray him by sending him deep into space. That should work out for everybody, right? On this episode of Moving Panels, we discuss Planet Hulk. Welcome to Moving Panels, the podcast where we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. I'm your host Laramie Wells, and joining me today is Chad Smith.
1: How are you, Chad? I'm pretty good, Laramie. Very excited to talk about this. It's one of my favorite properties.
0: Yeah, this is one that you and I we've we've been planning this one for what three, four months, something like that. Like, yeah, yeah. To
1: to plug shamelessly, plug Amazon Prime. Uh, ever since I found they have a ton of of pro- of things that you can just read for free, and I had reread it, and I was like, we got to do this, Laramie. So
0: and then I sat and reread it. Actually, I read it. That was actually my first time ever reading Oh yeah. uh reading it. So, uh so I read through it and um and then we finally have been able to get together to record an episode on it. So, so here we are. We're talking about Planet Hulk. The movie, of course, is our main focus it was released February 2nd of 2010, but it is based on the comic book storyline. Uh, of the same name, the storylines of the same name from uh 2000. It was a 2006 2007 run that stretched over those two years. It was of Marvel's big animated movies. It was their seventh uh, animated movie, and I got to tell you, um, Marvel didn't get off to a good start with their animated movies. If you ask me, the the Invincible Iron Man and the Doctor Strange animated movies, yeah. which I think came before this, they weren't great. To me um so it was good to see this one
1: uh, as much of a marvel guy as i am i think even post this you know, movie the their animated stuff is not very good it's not comparable to dc so it's kind of the one exception where they flip the script so
0: yeah and the cover art which was uh, actually an alex alex ross art piece of artwork that, it's amazing i love that artwork
1: yes yeah yeah, the the artwork, which um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about in the one-off on, on the one-shot on this, but total inspiration for the Hulk in Ragnarok. So
0: Chad and I are going to do kind of a back-to-back episode here. We're going to do this full episode as a review of the animated movie Planet Hulk, but considering that this story was also adapted into Thor Ragnarok, we're going to focus on a one-shot that'll come next week in which we talk about how... How well they did integrating this story into the Thor Ragnarok movie, um, but this episode is just entirely about the animated movie and and how that connects, which connects a heck of a lot better to the source material than uh, Thor Ragnarok obviously does. Oh yeah. All right, so let's get into the characters. Obviously, we got to start with the Hulk. Uh, This is one of our first times really getting to focus on the Hulk, and probably one of the rare times we get to focus on the Hulk. The Hulk, of course, debuted in The Incredible Hulk number 1 back in May of 1962, uh, infamously created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, one of their great collaborations to create this iconic character. Uh, In the animated movie, he is voiced by Rick Wasserman, I think is how you'll pronounce his last name. I'm not sure why they didn't use uh, Fred uh, Tatashori who is yeah. usually the voice of the Hulk for most of the animated stuff.
1: Well, to be fair, he might have been recording one of his 1,300 other projects that he's always working <laughs> yeah. on, so they yeah. might have not just been, been able to get him. I don't know. I kind of like, um, I mean, I don't know. You you can go either way with this one, but I, I like his take. He's just gruffer, darker. Uh, this This is definitely a Hulk that has more things to smash, less things to say. So... Uh, no, I, I kind of like that.
0: Yeah, especially, and we'll get into this in the moving panel section. Especially when you're talking about the comic book connection. Yeah, this is a much darker. Uh, but you know, we'll get into more about the Hulk since it all centers around him. So we'll, we'll move on. In terms of the other characters, there's not much to give in terms of background because they were all introduced in this story. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah these aren't these aren't characters that really have a a long lineage of comic books. Uh, a couple of different connections we'll get to all right so let's get into the other characters and we'll start off with probably the second biggest character out of this and that's uh, a uh voiced by lisa ann beely again always like, guessing how you pronounce some of these last names of course her character is the red king shadow warrior um we get to see really her entire story in this movie we get to find out why she's the shadow warrior well not, who not she her is. entire
1: story <laughs> true, true. Because uh, yeah, in the comic books, we do get to see the end of her story. Yeah, yeah. Um, her
0: whole arc which, happens in the comics. So yeah, which we don't see in this one. This one, this one ends a little early, and <laughs> uh, compared to the comics. But um, of course, you know, she's equal. You would almost say to Hulk, she sees Hulk as a worthy adversary, and Hulk, of course, is. <laughs> of course more so in the comics very um interested in her in terms of her strength and her ability and
1: yeah and honestly that's kind of the one thing where the movie falls a little bit short and i get it like you know it's an hour and 20 minutes you're you're only gonna pack so much in but i don't understand why hulk is attracted to her at in the movie if if you haven't seen the read the comic you kind of go all right that's sort of happening fast uh and it, and it just turns into a creepy, like, oh, she's strong kind of things So, you know, it's uh, like, it's like all right, uh, that's a little odd, but sure. Uh, she has some of the best uh, visual scenes in the movie, though. The fight scenes in this movie are phenomenal. But I would argue yeah. that probably the best single shot scene in the entire movie is is when it's their one-on-one and she ditches her weapon and challenges him in the old way and all this kind of stuff, and she punches him straight in the chest, like almost inserting her fingers like a knife into the center of his chest, and the impact and like the flex of his chest and the whole nine yards, it's just, it's an incredible scene. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. But
0: Yeah, no, she she's a great counterpoint, counterbalance, whatever you want to call what, what her character kind of is for Hulk uh, on uh this planet and yeah I, uh, I agree with you I, I don't know how what else to to say to that
1: i think uh it's also cool you can kind of go from her into just the whole mythology that uh greg pak writes uh in the series because he he gets to make up an entire world literally with this and so you have you know the planet Sakar which Hulk uh, has been it wasn't where he was supposed to be banished to but it's where he winds up and you have these three alien races and she represents the one called the Shadow People and she's you know, he even gets to make up a mythology inside of that you know they're this uh kind of spiritual prophetic people and she's this like ancient power inside of their society called the old strong and so uh you know that it it's it's pretty interesting and I think it's well written in the sense that she's originally the the not the antagonist because the red king is clearly the the yeah. bad guy but you know she has to play the The main henchman. Um, Yeah, and the moral, ethical, like, who do I side with, where kind of stuff. So she has an interesting arc.
0: Yeah, where her loyalties lie. Mm. You know, does she follow? Which is always, usually it's the the basis of a bad, like, movie, is when it starts off going, like, Legend for Tales of an Ancient Warrior. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Movie ever starts off about some prophecy or something, you, you immediately go, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> but, and of course, that's exactly what this story is. I mean, Hulk comes in and he's fulfilling a prophecy and she fulfills that prophecy of being the old strong, which, correct me if I'm wrong, the old it, that just is because her skin is indestructible,
1: right? I think there's more to it than just that. You don't see the like super strength that she possesses and all that sort of stuff with the other people of the the shadow people and in the books she's a, she even has to be kind of installed into that position and there's some controversy over that it's a it's this
0: whole yeah, weird some politics yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah yeah
1: it's pretty neat but which of course they, they skipped were... over for the movie which honestly yeah. doesn't take anything away from it but
0: yeah that wasn't a big change um but we just mentioned the red king uh the red king in this voiced by mark hildreth uh, he is a voice actor, but I did recognize him uh, as from being a sci-fi buff as well. He was in the reboot of V, as well as on the short-lived show Resurrection. I <laughs> can't say he's had a very successful uh, acting career, if you know those two shows, but he is a voice actor. I found it interesting, the the twist, going back to uh, Kiera, that in the movie, it ultimately ends up that she infects him yeah. with the spikes. yeah.
1: Instead of the Hulk beating him within an inch beating of his life. Beating the snot out of him, yeah.
0: <laughs> and then, of course, throws him to the, the Wildabots, which aren't even well, in kinda the They kind
1: of let, yeah, they they let that whole yeah. thing go altogether for the movie. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I dislike his performance or if I just dislike the character and therefore yeah. kind of dislike his performance. I don't know if it's one of those like Joffrey moments where where you just hate him because of his character, but I I I don't know. I don't want to be too critical of somebody, but this is probably in my opinion the weakest performance of the the show. You just never get an idea of why he's evil. Yeah, it's there there's zero mm-hmm. background to the Red King. You don't get any kind of why he is doing what he's doing. He's just you know, chaotic evil, and that's pretty much it. So I I do like the books a lot better with this particular character.
0: Yeah, they really just portray him as he's just the power hungry leader who has to do whatever he has to do to maintain order and power, and again, just that politic nature, political nature, and the aristocrat, whatever you wanna, yeah, call it. You're talking about he was your your least favorite performance. Let me move that into the character that I thought got the least amount of treatment, and that's Heroim or Hiram. Yeah. You, you pronounce <laughs> yeah. it for me, Hiram. Chad. Yeah, Hiram. Um, there you go. Yeah. And, and again, this is this is where I say he has the least amount because I don't even remember him, them saying his name an awful lot.
1: Yeah, he he gets pretty passed over and has a much much bigger role as kind of the carrier of the prophecy and all that sort of stuff uh, in the book, and and that is way downplayed, even though the movie kind of opens with it, with the the whole prophetic sequence, and then just, meh, you know, we'll just kind of pass over that a little bit. Um, Yeah, I'd agree with that. He's not, not... Honestly, almost all of the the war-bound don't get great treatment in this movie, even though, again, like, overall, uh, you know, I do... I do like the adaptation, understand it's only an hour and 20 minutes, but Mm -hmm. uh, he he gets kind of shafted, not a lot of of stuff going on with him. Uh, I think he's kind of there to make sure that they have a shadow uh, person along with Hulk from the get-go, because other than that, he he doesn't play much of a role.
0: Yeah, he and, and you might have to help me pronounce uh, her name too, but uh, was it... uh Eloi Eloi uh yeah. Eloi yeah
1: yeah uh, she kind of doesn't want to join at first so he's you know he he does get to play that little bit of a part that with now I can't remember what is it Landis, the general that she's following uh to try to overthrow the red king you know mm-hmm. he he dies very quickly so there's not a lot with him but yeah Eloi also not horribly well fleshed out uh in the movie you don't get nearly the backstory and the why she is rebelling against the Red King that you get in the books. Mm-hmm. You just kind of know that that's her role in this. She's an aristocrat who is, uh, you know, rebelling against the throne. She's trying very hard to overthrow the Red King, and she's not very wise about it. So gets them into a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah. Uh, again, like you said, the, the side characters are so much bigger in the, in the comic, and they had there's so much importance to them in the comics Right. that th- this movie just really just focuses on Hulk. Yeah, and that's all they really care about. You have we- Meek, which... who I would yeah
1: I think gets treated the worst honestly because he's not even really Almost in definitely. character. Uh He's a coward in the movie. <laughs> he's just this whole. He spends the entire movie going, "I'm a fi- I'm a hider, not a fighter." And then at the end, he's a, he's a fighter now. So you know, has a little bit of a redemptive arc, but. Uh, far more fun but not like in the comics yeah in the comic uh, and and really has a great run there and the you, you totally miss out on on his relationship to his people that are just always called the natives which mm-hmm. is a little strange but uh, the ant people of Sakar uh, and apparently they can uh, not telepathically talk, but uh, like pheromone talk, like real insects on, on yeah. earth. And it really explores that. And it's a pretty fascinating series of events. He actually saves Sakar at one point. You don't get any of that in the movie, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, he is was- the representative of the natives on, on our little band of brothers here.
0: Yeah. Cause uh, they even at one point, If I'm remembering right, in the comic, like he is even believed to be the savior of the planet that they thought Hulk was going to be and all that.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and uh, which is, I'm trying to remember, is that why he is cast out or, I can't remember, I can't remember that portion of the story. Yeah, I I just
0: remember he he kind of becomes, like you said, the leader, like almost like the king of the natives. Right. uh, Much bigger part in the story. Uh of course we also got uh Korg which most people will remember from Thor Ragnarok and into Avengers Endgame um <laughs> and all that. Uh remember a little bit more of Korg. Korg of course is more of a not as much of a comedic character as he is in the comic. Uh, voiced by great voice actor Kevin Michael Richardson. Yep. You talked about uh Fred uh Tattasori earlier. Kevin Michael Richardson, I mean Simpson's family guy, American yeah. dad. He was the Joker on the Batman series from the early 2000s. Not Batman animated series, the one that followed. Yeah. Um, the Joker that had, like, the straight jacket on. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The crazy hair. Yeah, that was Kevin Michael Richardson. Uh, of course, he is a Cronin probably the only character or alien race we had seen prior to this storyline because the Cronin was actually the first alien race that Thor encountered in his very first comic. I was
1: about to say it's an interesting tie-in. Uh, I, th- I thought this was kind of clever, so I guess you kind of throw in the last character we, we need to talk about. Uh, so in the movie, you have Beta Ray Bill. In the comics, mm-hmm. it's, it's Silver Surfer. But uh, mm-hmm. Beta Ray Bill... Gets gets his intro through Korg, and they use, uh, gosh, what was it? I'm trying to remember the comic. Uh, something of mystery. Um, oh gosh, what's the name of that comic? It's Journey into Mystery. Oh, the Journey into yeah, Mystery. Journey yeah, into Mystery. Yeah. Eighty three, the first appearance of Thor. Uh, the yeah. Cronins of, a- of Saturn. Of <laughs> Saturn. Yeah, yeah, that was the invading. thing. They're actually.
0: <laughs> They're from Saturn in the original comic.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so that's where Korg is originally introduced into the comics, along with Thor. And so they very cleverly, because they couldn't use Silver Surfer because he was tied up with Fox properties, uh, so they they brought in Beta Ray Bill uh, instead, which is actually super interesting. I, I would I would bet it's probably. 50% or better of the audience's first time ever encountering Beta Ray Bill. He's a, a fairly obscure Marvel character, but he's pretty interesting. So it was kind of cool that you get to see that backstory, too. And so it, I liked that part, that they they used a little bit of a legal problem to create a, a nice little tie-in and and give Korg a, a more rounded story. Uh, in the books, he's basically uh, Hulk's right-hand man, which you don't get in the movie again. Uh, he's, you know, he's arguably the most prominent because they use him to defeat the other Cronins that are turned in the first fight in the arena. Uh, so he carries maybe a little bit bigger role, but he's, he's very important to Hulk's group in the, in the books and you don't get nearly as much of that, but, but I do like the, the little tie in they gave him at least.
0: I, I agree one hundred percent. Although, did wasn't it when they redid the the backstory? Wasn't it that instead of the Cronins invading Earth, wasn't it that Beta Ray Bill invaded, uh, or Beta Ray Bill and Thor came to their sh- planet?
1: No, I don't think it's their planet. They were on a mission to. Th- it wasn't Earth, anyways. You're yeah, right in that Earth. sense. Like yeah. they were scouting some other world. And so apparently, you know, the nine one one call went out, <laughs> to, yeah. and and Thor and Beta Ray Bill show up and absolutely, you know, destroy the Cronins. And but it's it's a cool. Little, I, I wouldn't call it a throwaway scene, but it's a neat little scene to to kind of tie them in. So Beta Ray Bill, if we're gonna jump into that character real quick, sure, is probably my biggest issue with the movie. You get zero reason why he's there. Apparently, the Red King just captured him. I mean, he captured the Hulk the same way. Okay, cool, whatever. But (laughs) in a a great fight scene where you have the Hulk versus Beta Ray Bill, the Hulk, maybe accidentally, I don't know, it's not really clear, destroys the little uh, mind control device that's been installed on all of them, but destroys the one that's on Beta Ray Bill. So now Beta Ray Bill gets the opportunity to use his overwhelming Thor powers to uh destroy everyone else's device and free the people. And then he just flies off. Uh he starts a race war on, on an alien world, and then he's like, Deuces, I'm I'm gone. So he just flies off into space. And that's that's probably my only real complaint with this movie, like plot wise. I was kinda like, oh, that uh that's super heroic, just, you're all now free, I'm out. Like, you know,
0: doesn't do anything else.
1: So, it's a strange little uh, cameo.
0: I mean, if I remember right, Silver Surfer does a very similar thing in the comic, doesn't he? Okay, but I would argue
1: that that's pretty Silver Surfery. Like, that's kind of who that dude is. Like, he's just, he shows up, uh, does things, and then... You know, very, I don't know how to describe it, but very like surfer mentality is just kind of off to his next cosmic thing that he does. And so I i almost, I don't know why, but I buy it more with the surfer than I do with Beta Ray Bill.
0: Well, for those who are not familiar with Beta Ray Bill, so Beta Ray Bill always kind of gets this, I guess the best way to visualize him is usually said is he looks like he's a horse, horse a, face, a human yeah. horse. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, First appeared in The Mighty Thor number 337 in November of 1983. He is a Corbinite, is the name of his race. Uh, He was a protector of that race and actually fought off Thor without any Thor with his Mjolnir and everything. Beta Ray Bill was actually able to pretty Much fight Thor to a draw, yeah, and then was able to lift Mjolnir. yeah. And in return, Odin, because uh, Beta Ray Bill showed his uh, his worthiness, Odin actually created Stormbreaker, which people who are familiar with Avengers Endgame remember the axe looking yeah. hammer that Thor gets, that's actually Beta Ray Bill's weapon, and so he gets that, and he's now the this uh, horse faced Thor it could be worse he could be throg and we could have had throg
1: <laughs> yeah 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 you're right and he he basically has the same powers as thor uh minus the arrogance so you know there's that yeah <laughs>
0: yeah but anyway. i don't know why i mentioned throg uh if you don't know who throg is he's the frog <laughs> thor <laughs> yeah who picks up a small like a chip of mjolnir and then gets thor's abilities Uh, And you think, well, that's ridiculous. It's canon. I mean... (laughs) Well, let's be honest. I mean,
1: the whole Thor line is, you know, Stan Lee and company doing drugs in the 60s. So, I mean, (laughs) come on.
0: It's... (laughs) Here's a character that I want to point out. I, I didn't know whether to put him here with the characters or talk about it in the moving panels. But whole character completely missing from the movie. And that's Brood. So, I... So, interestingly, I assumed
1: that that was also, like, a Fox property issue. Because uh, the Brood are also characters in a lot of X-Men stories when you get into the cosmic X-Men stuff. But, at the same time this was made, Marvel Studios was also making X-Men comics. So, I I don't know. Maybe? Maybe not? I don't know. And it also, I think, could have just been cast out because... We've got enough aliens to learn in a 15 minute span before the action gets rolling here. So maybe it was just superfluous in that sense. But it's an interesting character in in the books. So I didn't think it was critical loss, but it is what it is.
0: All right, let's get into the moving panels. So let's give a little background. This was a a run within the Incredible Hulk. This wasn't a one shot. This wasn't a separate graphic novel. This was within the canon of the Incredible Hulk. It was issues 92 through 105. But prior to this story was a storyline called Peace in Our Time. And I won't get into that in great detail but it ends with hulk being the one who has to stop the main villain called god's eye and he's on the moon he battles off because he's the only one who's strong enough to to stop god's eye he stops god's eye uh, there's a shuttle from S.H.I.E.L.D. that arrives to take Hulk back to Earth, so he thinks, and then the shuttle ends up taking him further into space, and so that's where we get the opening of this movie, yeah. where you see Hulk wake up inside the ship, and he's getting the message from uh, the Illuminati, that <laughs> yeah. is what they are called yep. in yep. The, the the comics, uh, where he's getting the message from the Illuminati explaining why they decided to send him off to what they believe was going to be a uninhabited, peaceful, uh, tranquil planet, almost uh, visualized where Thanos ended up after Infinity War. Yeah. You know, just this, this quiet little planet that Hulk would just be able to live out the rest of his life and not be a danger to anyone. And then, of course, Hulk goes crazy. He smashes up the navigation system. Uh, there happens to be a wormhole. I mean, and he ends yeah, up why not? yeah he ends
1: up on the <laughs> car. well I, I think just to back up slightly I think it's cool to point out how these stories tie into the arch that was going on at Marvel at the time and so going into Civil War the writers have a problem and they know that whoever has Thor and or Hulk has a massive advantage uh in in just the mechanics of how how are you going to defeat that hero when it comes down to civil war because you know iron man and and captain america are fairly well matched and so you just kind of go down the list of marvel characters and there's matchups so they wrote thor out with the thor odinson storyline which is also a super great read and then they did Mm -hmm. this to the hulk and so it's is pretty slick and they they make no bones about it in the movie. I think they even kind of reference that that you know that things are getting bad on earth and you know he can't be there. He's just a force of destruction and all this kind of stuff. You were talking about the Illuminati and I wanted to touch is Black Bolt in that shot. I didn't even think to look for it because it's Reed Richards, Black Bolt, Tony Stark, Hank Pym uh who
0: else is and dr strange one of them
1: yes yes that's the the main characters of the illuminati and i i think i remember seeing all of them but black bolt but
0: as i say i don't think all of them that are technically the illuminati are in the shot uh, in the movie um yeah black bolt may be the one that's missing i can't remember either to be honest yeah
1: yeah sorry a little bit of a tangent, but...
0: <laughs> You're fine. No, I was going to bring up the Civil War thing. You know, this was a, in the comics, uh, the way to get rid of Hulk while Civil War was going on. <laughs> Again, we'll get into this in a minute. Didn't work out too well for them. <laughs> but but so they could do the Civil War storyline. Yeah, you can't have Hulk. You can't have Thor. And then, of course, in the movies, they did the same thing. You know, they had Thor go off on his journey after he had his little vision quest or whatnot in Age of Ultron, yeah. uh, you had him go off and then they, they get rid of uh, Hulk, even though they don't quite mention how. But then, of course, you find out in Thor Ragnarok that he's on Sakaar and we get that, yeah. that whole story.
1: Yeah. So, man, I really don't want to beat up on the movie because I, I really enjoy the movie a lot. Oh, it's a good, yeah. But... Yeah. Uh, one of its shortcomings and in, in how they have to condense it is, A, that it's really only two-thirds of the book to begin with.
0: Yeah, so, it's, the like I said, the Planet Hulk storyline is issues 92 through 105, but the movie stops at about issue 102. Right. So there's still three more issues of is story are, of what happened on car. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff that goes yeah. down.
1: But, uh, uh, but even kind of in the beginning of it, this story... The reason I like Planet Hulk so much is it took a fairly kind of one-dimensional character. I mean, the Hulk is not exactly known for deep, meaningful story runs. You know, you get some stuff every now and then with the play with Banner and all that sort of stuff. But I yeah. feel like Greg Pak did a great job of pointing out just Hulk's loneliness. He he really humanized him a lot in this that you you never saw before. And you see kind of that... Like, I can almost hear the theme song to the old, uh, you know, TV show Hulk, the, you know, is it just yeah. the sad outro, the yeah, man, you know? yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of, that,
0: dun-dun-dun-dun,
1: <laughs> yeah. so it's just that sort of thing, but you, they really double down on it in this comic run, and it's so deep and meaningful, just how much alone this guy is and so for the first time he gets a family
0: well go before you get into that going into his ability to trust because here he was he had been fighting for earth he had been an avenger uh and here he was he you know he trusted that shield was gonna bring him back home and then he's betrayed by the people he thought were his friends yeah And so they get into, and the movie shows it a little bit too, you know, that he just like, nope, I just want to do what I'm doing and get out of here. You know, he he didn't want to team up. He didn't want to make friends. But like you're saying, he ultimately, he ultimately develops a family in this storyline.
1: Yeah, it's, they definitely have a kind of Guardians of the Galaxy moment where it's this total hodgepodge of people that, that shouldn't get along from, you know, all kind of different ethnic backgrounds and all that sort of stuff that are driven into uh, becoming a team. And so you miss out in the movie on the full arc of that, though, because in the last episodes, after the Red King has been defeated and, you know, yay, everything's on top and Hulk becomes king of Sakaar, it, it, replacing the Red King as emperor, uh, he he decides to make everyone equals you know he's doing all these great things and uh Kaiara is his queen and then Meek in his hurt and everything from basically the extinction of his people coming up betrays them all and brings the downfall uh of Sakaar. It results in the death of Hulks you know now wife and uh she dies a child. yeah and so it's it's a heartbreaking read uh come up you're you're seeing a dude who just finally is patching himself up from like you're saying the betrayal of his friends all this sort of stuff and just gutted which leads into a phenomenal book series uh so it's come a full circle back to the the marvel universe mm-hmm. you know you have the heroes on earth who were in turmoil from you know, trying to patch up the wounds and everything from Civil War and come back together and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And now the Hulk shows up to destroy them. And it's a it's a magnificent comic book run. Just the idea that Hulk almost single-handedly can take on virtually all of, of Earth's heroes, it's pretty cool. I won't ruin that one for anybody who does want to read through them. Yeah. But I think that's probably... You know, the where the movie does kind of shortchange you a little bit. I can understand them not wanting it to end it on a bad note, but how awesome would it have been if they had went dark and kind of forced the studio to let them make World War Hulk as well. But I don't know. So maybe I'm going to start that hashtag, release World War Hulk cut. I don't know. but
0: <laughs> yeah. I love in the, the comic run... Not only do you have him really developing a family and finding a home and, and all that, but even just the aspects of like with the, uh, I forgot the name of the aliens, but the ones that they end up using Hulk to suck out his life force because that's what keeps mm-hmm. them him al- them alive and he does it long enough for them to get their affairs in order so that they can leave. The Spikes, yeah. And, the Spikes, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, I forgot if they gave, they gave them an actual name. But yeah, the spikes
1: and then Yeah, you find out that they're not just zombie makers, that they're this being that requires a ton of power and and the Red King has been using them and all this kind of stuff and Hulk makes all that right. It's actually really I don't I, I don't know. I don't want to geek out on it too much, even though it's a nerd podcast. But it's uh <laughs> it's it's really a cool story in uh this whole redemptive arc that Hulk becomes this You know, he's been told that he's this force of destruction. We've got to get rid of you because all you do is destroy things. And here, he's nothing but a redemptive force. You know, and and of course, it's part of the prophetic stuff. But it's explained in science the way Marvel likes to do that kind of stuff. But you know, uh, part of the prophecy he fulfills is that his blood literally causes the world to come back to life. There, there's very little plant life and that sort of thing. And so, where his blood falls. Uh, because of the you know the gamma energy in it and everything, it actually restores plant life and things start to grow and all this sort of thing. And so you get this like great redemptive arc, and man, it, that it just makes it that much more crushing at the end because he's he's doing everything from redeeming literally redeeming a planet, he's redeemed an entire species and given and set them free and and set them back out into the universe. Uh, he's patched up this kind of triad of species on, on Sakar and is making them equals and respect one another again. And, and then
0: the whole thing just gets wiped out and he loses it. Hardcore. Oh yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> but you don't blame him. No, it, that's the thing about it. Yep. You do not blame him at all. And uh, again, we won't spoil world war Hulk uh, since this movie doesn't actually cover it. But when earth's heroes are trying to speak to him and whatnot, he's telling them, look, this is what you did. Like, you brought this upon yourself. And, and they even understand that him, to a point.
1: Like, you, you yeah. see um, Dr. Strange, Reed, you, several of them just kind of coming to plead with Hulk that we we just were doing what we thought we had to do. Like, we, we knew it was wrong, but it was a lesser of two evils kind of thing. And so it, it's really compelling.
0: Yeah, and then he just proceeds to... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we won't we won't get into that, but it's a, it's a great read as Chad's saying. Uh when I like I said this was my first time actually reading through it and I not only read through Planet Hulk, but I kept going. Yeah. And I read through World War Hulk and it was yeah, a great read. But like I, but I said, also just uh, enjoy that it's not
1: a one off. This isn't some elsewhere yeah, elsewhere story. This yeah. is a main line. This happened in Hulk's main in the, run in the in the yeah. in the comics. So it's
0: pretty cool. Yeah. Greg Pack, like you said, did a phenomenal job.
1: Oh, and the artwork. Uh, with... Oh my gosh. The movie is is a good looking uh movie. It, they did a good job of capturing a lot of it. But man, it just pales in comparison to the books. And I really should have uh done my homework and written that part written the the artists down, but I didn't write, you know, artist or, or colors or anybody but they did a phenomenal job it's in the animation you, you kind of understand that you're not going to get that level of detail and everything in an in an animated movie but man like the the red king's armor and just the the cover and it's it's uh i'm sure we'll cover this a little bit later but um it it a lot of the visuals you see in ragnarok come straight from that artwork
0: so uh, I-, I looked it up real quick so we could give them their, their nod. So the pencilers were Carlo Pagulayan and Aaron Lopresti. Inker uh, was Jeffrey Hewitt. Colorist was Chris Sotomayor. Great job, guys. So there you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, just some fun little trivia aspects uh, when you're watching the movie. Uh, look in the crowd. The animators decided to throw in uh, Star-Lord, Gamora, Pip the Troll, and even Adam Warlock are just sitting in the crowd watching all this happening. And you got to remember, this
1: is pre-MCU, so if you're looking for those things, Google comic book Gamora first, because she doesn't look yes. much... she'll li- just look a little different, <laughs> yeah. Her, like, yeah. bizarre entire body fishnet costume thing she wears, and yeah, yeah. But yeah, the Guardians are apparently, they like to, to come down to Saqqara to... You know, enjoy a good time watching some gladiatorial battles. (laughs) Uh,
0: But I also found it funny that there is a scene where you can see behind the Red King, you can see uh, the Grandmaster. Yeah. Which is so funny, considering that in Thor Ragnarok, (laughs) the (laughs) Grandmaster replaces the Red King. Yep. So I found that funny. Yeah. All right, so let's get into our final decisions. Uh, You know it on this podcast. We call it Bag It, Stack It, or Trade It, the way you treat a comic book. Uh, but we're talking about the movie. Chad, the movie for Planet Hulk. Do you bag it, stack it, or trade it? Man,
1: I'm extremely biased on this one. And uh, Laramie actually introduced me to this movie. I, I, he knew that I was a Marvel fan. I had read the books a long time ago. And well before the days of everything being at your fingertips streaming, Laramie was like, you should check this out. You need to go find it somewhere. And so I'm I'm probably biased and nostalgic in that sense. But it is uh, for sure a bag for me. I just... I have a special place in my heart for this storyline, the run, uh, and this movie.
0: Yeah, I'm a bagot, too. You know, like Chad said, this was one I didn't even know the comic. Again, I didn't read the comic until I was prepping for this show. I, I was familiar that it existed. I saw this movie without knowing anything about the comic, and I enjoyed it. And like we talked about earlier, this was probably one of the best animated movies Marvel had put out at the time. And it honestly did make me want to know more about the storyline. And so it was kind of a a treat to then go through and read it and find out just how much... Deeper that story went. Sure, the movie could have been longer. It could have covered more of the story, but for the you know hour and twenty minute animated movie that it was, it was a decent adaptation, and, in my opinion.
1: And if you haven't read it, go. F- you, you really should find the run. It's not a long read at all. I mean, you you can pass through it pretty pretty quickly, but it's a good one.
0: And I, I know it's you know it's been a decade now since they put this out, so it probably won't happen. But I would I would love for them to do the world war hulk as a sequel oh man i mean dc has done a good job of you know continuing on like pretty much they make their movies feel like separate movies but then they're actual continuations of the animated movie that came prior like dc does that and so yeah better than their
1: on. you know cinematic universe no yeah <laughs> uh,
0: yeah it's it's crazy that dc dc's better with animated stuff oh 100% uh, marvel's better with live with live action stuff unless you're talking tv versus movie DC's better with tv uh than marvel but again marvel marvel reigns in terms of motion pictures yeah so. no it's
1: very interesting
0: all right chad any last words any anything else you want to share about uh planet hulk no i mean just
1: just watch hulk smash some stuff it's very cathartic <laughs> it's great <So>. always is
0: <laughs> all right well thanks uh give us a follow on social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Moving Panels. I'm on TikTok, at Moving Panels. I try to get content out as much as I can. Uh, TikTok's a crazy beast. I'll post a video one day and get 20,000 views. I'll post a video another day and I get 200. So I, I don't get it, but I'm on there. Uh, but if you got anything you want to share with us, you of course can hit us up on any of those platforms as well as email us, movingpanels at gmail.com. But for today's episode, um, I just want to thank Chad once again. It's always great to uh, have these conversations to almost 40 year old nerds <laughs> talking about movies and comic books. So thanks, Chad. Yeah, I mean, we've only been doing this for 20 years, so <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right for moving panels, I'm Laramie Wells and I'll see you on the other side of the page.
2: Hello, movie viewers and fellow movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and I'm the creator and host of Movie Views Presents, the 80s flick flashback podcast. See, I love the 80s, and I have a great appreciation and nostalgic passion for the classic 80s flicks that birthed my love for movies and ultimately helped shape my childhood. On each episode, I'll discuss, with a special guest co-host, of course, a different film from the 1980s. We'll share memories, favorite characters, iconic scenes, and even share some behind the scenes stories along the way. We'll discuss famous blockbusters like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Coming to America, Ghostbusters, Dirty Dancing, Top Gun, Die Hard, and many, many more, as well as some other cult classics and even lesser known flicks we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores. Remember those? No matter what 80s flick we choose to talk about, we'll always have a good time, so come and check us out. You can find the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast on major podcasting platforms like Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and more. Be sure to subscribe or follow so you don't miss a single episode. Once again, I'm Tim Williams, and I hope you'll join me for the next 80s Flick Flashback.